0: Our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day just to be alive and to be able to breathe and see and hear your word. We're grateful, Father, for this place we get to gather together that's uh, such a sanctuary apart from the world with those like minded believers where we can worship you together in unity. Father, also we pray at this point for all those in our congregation who are sick and struggling. Uh, You know all the details, Father, and we ask that you bring them back to us as soon as possible to be with us face to face as we miss them. And Father, right now we ask your blessing to be upon this message We ask that your spirit guide us and teach us, and we're most of all grateful for your son, Jesus Christ, who made this all possible. We ask these things in his precious name, and it's by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen. So why is our hope so certain in part three? Uh, As you've seen, we've had a certain um, angle into this question, Uh, we really could spend many months on this question and have biblical uh, support to answer it but um, the Spirit's been emphasizing one particular area and uh, we'll end with some uh, verses too that are very encouraging regarding our hope and how strong our hope should be. So first of all the Spirit gave me a passage this morning to share with you which brings together some of the things we've been learning lately not just in this series. And we have a tendency in our flesh, really, to lose hope when things aren't going well in our lives, Uh, to even question God on why it seems like he's not blessing us in certain ways. But maybe, just maybe, as a good father, he's disciplining us as he teaches us his ways and grows us to receive the peaceful fruit of righteousness that he so badly wants us to possess goes hand in hand with hope. We often look at what we see and we judge by the appearance. But as we know, the Lord faithfully disciplines every son. And that itself should increase our hope, not decrease it. Let me say that again, okay? This is like really important. A perspective change that we probably all have to make at times in our lives when we get down so to speak and we wonder if God's for us you know things aren't going the way they should or there are people more blessed than us and all that comparison junk but the Lord faithfully disciplines every son so says Hebrews 12 if you're not if you're not disciplined you're an illegitimate child and not a son that's horrible but he faithfully disciplines every son And that itself should increase our hope, not decrease it. It's evidence that we belong to him. When we're under discipline, when things aren't going our way, let's say, or we're not blessed in every area of our life, or we're under a certain type of discipline, it's proof that we belong to him, that we're his children. When he doesn't just let things go in our lives, for example, Uh, when he pecks at your conscience Um, when he gives you some form of discipline like Paul's thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 12 that's the faithfulness of a good father and then to top that off when we see unbelievers who seem to have no problems or discipline in their lives we get jealous wrongly right? haven't we all done that? You look at your neighbor who is not following Christ and they seem to be blessed in every area and seem to be is a good word too because you you don't know the behind the scenes and you don't know what's going on in their soul. But Holy Scripture tells us they're going to have their judgment one day and we should have a good perspective on discipline that is actually necessary for us. So, we're going to read uh, Psalm 73 to begin this evening. Go to Psalm 73. And I hope you allow this to encourage you. And I also hope you see how the Spirit is blending together um, our recent series on the peaceful fruit of righteousness and how discipline is what brings us that. He's blending that together with, with the hope we should have as His children. So look at Psalm 73, 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant, as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death, and their body is fat. That speaks of prosperity. They are not in trouble as other men nor are they plagued like mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace, the garment of violence covers them. Their eye bulges from fatness, the imaginations of their heart run riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression, they speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue parades throughout the earth. Therefore his people return to this place, and waters of abundance are drunk by them. They say, how does God know? And is there knowledge with the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. And always at ease, they have increased in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. Have you ever felt that way? I have. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. And this is why we mustn't go by our feelings. You know, you might quote-unquote feel that way, but you have to go by truth, which stabilizes us and helps us see the reason that things don't appear to be going the way you think they should be. So, again, verse 13, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence, for I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. There's the faithfulness of divine discipline, and we look at it as punishment, when it's actually good for us and protects us from self-destruction that the unbelievers are actually living out in this chapter. For I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God Then I perceived their end. You know, if you're into the word of God, you know what's going to happen to those that deny the Lord and live for themselves. And that's why we're here, to gain the right perspective, even though the world is telling us different things. Surely, in verse 18, Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. When my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. Now just keep that phrase in mind as we go forward tonight also in verse 23. David says, you have taken hold of my right hand. Was that literal or was that spiritual? Do you think God came down and grabbed his right hand? Of course not. But what does this mean? Apparently, there's a way God can take hold of us, just like the Bible's been telling us to take hold of the hope that is set before us. So just keep that in mind. Verse 24, with your counsel, you will guide me and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you, and besides you I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. There's the hope that we're called to have. Uh, We have peace when we we realize we couldn't be more secure in his hands than we are now. Again, verse 26, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. As we've already seen in this series, those who make the Lord their refuge, relying on him in their hearts, are secure in God's hands by his perfect promises. And we have a God who cannot lie and has even given us his oath as we've been studying. So what the Spirit's saying is don't be discouraged when your life isn't perfect. Even as you follow Christ and you do the right thing, don't be discouraged. There's a reason. You've got a long way to go. (laughs) So do I. Even when we think we don't have a long way to go, we have a long way to go. And God's trying to mold us and shape us And he can't do that if everything's perfect in our lives. And that's why we need discipline. And it's love. So God may be simply training you and at the same time protecting you from yourself. But in the end, he's going to produce in you the peaceful fruit of righteousness and you'll have no regrets. So the message is, hold on to your hope. Hold on to this message that we've been hearing from the Spirit. Don't let it go. We have divine proof, even. So that's been the theme in this series, Why Is Our Hope So Certain? And thanks to the Spirit for interjecting Psalm 73 as we watch Him bring all these things together in our souls. So back to our series, Why Is Our Hope So Certain? On the board, do we carry a certain definite, unwavering hope within us on a regular basis. The Lord wants us to continue to seek Him so that our personal confidence in His salvation is ever on the increase within us. And one reason we should have such a great hope within us, one main reason on the board, Jesus Christ is our great high priest who perfectly represents us all to God. Hebrews 3.1 and Hebrews 4.14. Turn again to Hebrews four verse fourteen. It's all about him and his person. That's why we have the hope that we do. Hebrews four fourteen. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. And that's why what we've been seeing also is we can have confidence when approaching the Father in prayer. And we shouldn't be shy to ask God for mercy and grace in our lives. Uh, Jesus being our representative before Him. Um, I go back to that chapter we just read in Psalm 73. And don't turn there. But David said, my flesh and my heart may fail. Sound familiar? <laughs> my flesh and my heart may fail, like every day. But then he says, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. See, it's Christ himself that's our hope. Even when we try, we're trying our best and we fail, he's still right there. Uh, immovable and representing us before the Father. So on the board, the Spirit has had us building a case for the extreme uniqueness of Christ's high priesthood. He came up with a better way to represent us, which man could have not expected, unless, as I was thinking about this as I, <laughs> even when we went over this on Tuesday, God came up with a better way to represent us, a, a way that man could not have expected, unless he diligently, diligently read the prophecies in the Old Testament because the prophecies do tell us that he's going to be a high priest of a different order than the Jews and uh, a never-ending priesthood for Jesus Christ. And again, we might say one not made with human hands. So there's no human credit involved here. So for a quick review, go to Hebrews 5, verse 6. Hebrews 5, 6. Just as he says also in another passage, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And look at verse ten. Being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Another key passage that's pointing out the, the extreme uniqueness of Christ's priesthood is in Hebrews six seventeen through twenty. Look at Hebrews six seventeen through twenty. In the same way God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of His purpose, interposed with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Spirit brought out on Tuesday how this hope is being spoken of as a tangible thing, something we can take hold of. Uh, If you want to picture it as an anchor, something you can grab onto like that, then wonderful. But apparently, on the board, there is substance to God's hope, which we, which we can grab onto. We just read that in Hebrews 6, 18 through 19, and we also see that in Hebrews 11:1. And you may remember our old friend on this. Uh, there's one translation of Hebrews 11:1 that we went over some months ago on the board. Hebrews 11.1 one in the New King James Version. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So apparently there's a substance, uh, even a tangibleness to God's hope that we can grab onto. Here again we see also the tight relationship between faith and hope in this verse on the board. So in a supernatural sense, faith and hope have substance. There's something we can grab onto even though it's invisible. Like the Lord took hold of David by his right hand. What does that mean? It's not obviously literal, but it's true nonetheless. And that depends on our looking at it with a spiritual perspective and praying about it so that we can see and hold onto this thing called hope. For some perspective on Christ's unique priesthood, the Spirit gave us this on the board. It was from an order established by God well before Moses and the law were ever given, the order of Melchizedek, and it lasts forever. Thank God, in Hebrews 6.20. As we know, it's very important to keep the big picture in mind, And God had all of this planned in eternity past, even before the Bible was even written. He knew asking man to keep the law wouldn't work. But he had to show us. Just think about that. God knew that man couldn't keep the law. Why did he give it? He almost had to prove to man that he couldn't keep the law on his own. That self wasn't good enough. And so this unique priesthood comes forth once man kind of gives up on self. And it, this priesthood would work on behalf of man, on behalf of those that take refuge in Christ. So look at Hebrews 7, verse 1. As we do a quick review, he, Hebrews 7, 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of all the spoils, was first of all, by the translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, which is king of peace. And we saw how our Lord Jesus also was given both of those titles. Melchizedek uh, truly was a type of our Lord and Savior. And on Sunday, the Spirit reminded us of why our Lord was so pleasing to our Father, and it's pretty obvious. On the board, our Lord always did and always always does what is right. He lived in perfect righteousness. His perfect obedience made Him the perfect Son and also the perfect sacrifice. Hebrews 10, 10 through 14, and Hebrews 12, 11. So look again at Hebrews 7, 3, talking about how Melchizedek is a picture of the perfect one, the Lord, our perfect high priest. Hebrews 7, 3, Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest perpetually. Now observe how this... How great this man was, to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the choicest spoils, and those indeed of the sons of Levi who received the priest's office have commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is from their brethren, although they are descended from Abraham. but the one whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises, but without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. So on the board, we've been seeing how Melchizedek is declared as being greater than Abraham, who is the father of our faith. This makes sense considering he's a type of our Lord who's greater than all. Now jump forward to verse 14. Hebrews 7:14. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning priests. And this is clearer still if another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become such not on the basis of a law of physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life. For it is attested of him, Jesus, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand... There is a setting aside of a former commandment because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as it was not without an oath, for they indeed became priests without an oath, but he with an oath through the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. So much the more also Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. The former priests, on the one hand, existed in great numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, But the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son made perfect forever. Now the main point in what has been said is this, we have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man. So we're very thankful, hopefully, for a better way that the Lord made. A totally divine and supernatural solution to our problems of sin and death and one that's everlasting. This simple point also has been the emphasis of the Spirit this week. And maybe it's because this is how simple and pure our hope can be in Christ on the board. Our great hope Jesus is eternally, perpetually, permanently representing us sinners before God. We just saw that in Hebrews 7. And this makes all the difference in the world to us, as opposed to what was happening under the law, which was never completed. On the board, in Jesus we have a great high priest who lives on forever resurrected from the dead, and seated at the right hand of God the Father. His term never runs out, and His qualifications can never be questioned. We ended on Tuesday with Hebrews chapter 10. You can turn there, Hebrews chapter 10. And we were told to keep in mind a major mistake the Jews kept making, even after the Lord's sacrifice on the cross was finished on the board, after the cross, the mistake that the Jews uh, were, the, the mistake was that the Jews were still sacrificing animals, shedding animal blood to cover their sins when their Messiah had just come and made the final sacrifice for sin. Hebrews 10, 1 through through18. So that's the perspective. Um, that's the audience the author is writing to in the book of Hebrews. He's trying to tell them it's, it's fulfilled now. The Lamb of God has come. There's no more sacrifices required. So that helped us a great deal as we got into chapter 10. Look at Hebrews 10, verse 1. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Remember the difference between taking away sins and covering sins. That's all the the animal blood did in the Old Testament was cover the sins temporarily. It never took away the sins. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. There we see Jesus knew his destiny was to be the Lamb of God, to take away our sins, and that was the Father's will. So verse 8, after saying above, Sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for, for sin you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. And that's one reason why Jesus was a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, which was not under the law, but instead he represented a perfect priesthood. So Jesus took away the old and established a brand new covenant. And now after Christ has come on the board, Instead of us relying on a person on earth to represent us as a priest before God, Jesus became the one perfect sacrifice that would fulfill God's righteous requirement for all time. And also he became our priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So there's no more priests necessary to represent sinners before man. The final priest has come and he was perfect. And fully satisfies God the Father forever. So then in verse nine again. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish establish the second. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. What a picture of the completeness and finality of the believer's salvation in Christ. And sometimes the simple things are the most complete. For example, three simple words our Lord said on the cross, on the board in John 19.30. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And by the way, simple doesn't mean easy, as we know by now. The cross was the most difficult thing in human history. But the solution to our sin and death was simple, really simple. It's a person. It's Christ himself. Look at Hebrews ten fifteen. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws upon their heart And on their mind, I will write them. When I was reading this, I was thinking of the the conscience here. We've talked a lot about the conscience the last few years and how we've been learning the Spirit uses our good conscience to teach us and convict us of what's right. Kind of, you know, again, these are spiritual things, supernatural things, but kind of reminds me of verse 16. I will put my laws upon their heart, and on their mind I will write them. Then he says... And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things there is no longer any offering for sin. So because of the complete forgiveness of sins being accomplished through Christ there are no more animal sacrifices no more offerings for sin. And this perfect one the Lamb of God right now and forever represents us perfectly in the heavenly holy of holies before God the Father. What greater hope or confidence could we possibly have? If, if you picture these things, if you believe them by faith, that right now Jesus Christ is in the heavenly holy of holies with God the Father, and the Father is perfectly pleased, pleased with Him, and therefore pleased with anyone who trusts in Him. If you can picture that and trust in that, what greater hope? Could you have? How much more certain could your hope be? So on Tuesday, the Spirit also reminded us that Jesus is also called our advocate, another role he fulfills for us seated at the right hand of the Father. Even Job knew this, as we saw on the board in Job 16 19. Even now, behold, my witness is in heaven and my advocate is on high. There's faith for you. You think your life is tough? Go read Job again. All right? He was, you know, the closest thing to hell on earth, what he went through. Maybe the closest thing to the cross. Nothing compares with the cross, but he was, you know, you know Job. Most of you know. He says, by faith, my advocate is on high. This makes no sense. I don't know why my life is this way. I should be being blessed. I've been following God. I've been following Christ like we read in Psalm 73 with David. Why does it seem like the evil men are blessed and I'm over here suffering? But Job returns to his faith. Turn to 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2. First John 2. How many of you, when you're going through trouble, say, My advocate is on high? By faith, how many of you claim that, claim him as your hope? 1 John 2, 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. We have an advocate with the Father. Fighting for us, defending us. On the board we saw uh, on Tuesday, it's the Greek word parakletos. And it means an intercessor or a consoler. The same word given to the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John. And as we've seen recently, as in Romans 8, the Spirit intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words, right? Well, Jesus Christ also intercedes for us. He's our advocate with the Father. And He does that as our great high priest. Perfectly accepted. And on the board, Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So, again, our hope should be great. Hopefully it's greater and greater every single day until we die or are raptured. That's God's hope for us. And my prayer and my hope is that this study helps stabilize the hope in your own hearts. And that hope is a substance to you, something you can actually grab hold of. You can't explain it to someone who's an unbeliever, but there's a substance there. And this is why on the board if you've repented towards God and placed your trust in Christ alone you should have a hope that is unwavering and steadfast because your representative cannot be moved or shaken. No one will snatch them out of my hand, Jesus said in John 10. So go again to Hebrews 6.19 Hebrews 6.19 this hope we have as an anchor of the soul a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil let that picture of an anchor of the soul help you let that be a visual to you as the world tries to toss us around like waves in an agitated ocean our anchor holds firm forever and secures us in any and all circumstances any and all circumstances remember Paul I've learned to be content in any and all circumstances I've learned the secret I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me any and all circumstances your anchor holds firm that takes faith, and that gives us hope. And remember that we can also have the peace that surpasses all comprehension. Turn to Philippians 4, verse 4. Again, the Spirit's bringing a lot of things together. He's kind of gelling some things together for us. Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So on the board, despite the attacks and the temptations in this world, we should always look to our anchor, our Lord and Savior, for stability and peace, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 6.19, Hebrews 12.2, fixing our eyes on Jesus. It's only when we take our eyes off Jesus that we lose hold of the anchor. Again, these are all spiritual analogies. But it's where your eyes are. It's where your soul concentrates on. It's who your soul concentrates on that's going to determine your hope level, your stability, your peace even. God's designed us to live in the devil's world with Jesus as our great hope. Him, not just the idea of him. This has been a running theme too. Not just the idea of Jesus or not just the things he promises. Him, his person. Our great high priest, he's the one that's immovable and unshakable, and that's why our eyes need to be fixed on him if we're going to have any peace. So again, if you think about it, we couldn't possibly be any more secure. The only question is if we will experience his peace in time, if we will experience the level of hope that God wants us to experience. But one thing is for sure on the board, we have a hope, both sure and steadfast. If you don't take advantage of it, if you stray from the Word of God, that's your fault. But we do have a hope, both sure and steadfast, therefore the holding, therefore the grabbing on to. So as we close out this series, allow me to continue as your tour guide, because really especially in this series, that's all I've been doing. We've been reading Scripture after Scripture after Scripture in context that the Spirit has led us to. So let's survey some more Holy Scripture to pad our series topic, Why Is Our Hope So Certain? So turn in your Bibles to Psalm 43, verse 5. And I want you to sit back and relax and just enjoy these passages. You know, just read these passages, enjoy them, see how it relates to our hope and our stability. Why is our hope so certain? Psalm 43 5. And I love this. In these next two passages, David talks about his soul in the third person. That's his soul, right? But he's like talking to his soul. Why are you this way? All right? Interesting. Psalm 43, 5. Why are you in despair, O my soul? We might say that to ourselves, right? Every other day. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Pretty simple, solid advice, huh? In other words, stop despairing. Hope in God. It's that simple. Place your hope in God. Grab hold of the anchor. Don't let go. Go to Psalm 62, verse 5. Psalm 62, 5. And again, we see David talking to his soul. I don't know about you, but I talk to myself all the time. (laughs) Ha, ha. It's funny, though. It, it's a weird, it's a strange dynamic that um, it's hard to explain. Sometimes you need to. <laughs> anyway, before you think I'm nuts, go to Psalm 62, five. My soul, wait in silence for God only. In other words, stop it, <laughs> my soul. Stop doing that. Wait in silence for God only. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. That's another emphasis we're going to see in these passages, which we've already seen in other passages. The words, only and alone. Trust in Him alone and Him only. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold, I shall not be shaken. On God, my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, O people, Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Salah. And go to Psalm 146, verse 5. Psalm 146, 5. We've got several more passages we're just going to survey, but uh, this is the last one in Psalms for today. Psalm 146, 5. How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Notice in verse 5, How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob. Not the things about God, not the promises of God. Whose help is God, whose help is the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow, but He thwarts the way of the wicked. The Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. That's our God. That's the person we have to hope in, not the idea, not even His promises. Go to Isaiah twelve two. Isaiah twelve two. Listen, if our hope was only in words, if our hope was only in provident uh, promises, that's a lot less than our, your hope being in a perfect person who cannot fail. We're trusting in a perfect person. Isaiah twelve two. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and song, and He has become my salvation. Same principle. Look at Isaiah 28, verse 16. Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. This is talking about Jesus Christ. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. Will not be disturbed. There's your hope, certainty of your hope. Go to Jeremiah seventeen, verse seven. Jeremiah seventeen, seven. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, and whose trust is the Lord for he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes but its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit that's the life of a man who trusts in the lord go to romans 4:16 Romans 4:16. We'll see several New Testament passages as we close. We've still got 10 minutes left, so plenty of time. But there's nothing like just letting scripture speak to us, right? Romans 4:16. For this reason it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. That should mean more to, more to us now after what we just studied. <clears throat> Look at Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. go uh, on the board actually look at 1 Corinthians 15:58 Therefore my beloved brethren be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord There is again the stability, the steadfastness, the sureness of our hope So if listen if Christ is steadfast and he's yours, you're his, okay? He adopted you. You're related to him. He's in you, living inside of you. If, if he's your hope, if he's so steadfast, God's telling us in this passage, be steadfast. Be immovable. You have nothing to fear. Go to 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1. First Thessalonians 5, 1. Again, why is our hope so certain? Now, as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. That the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Remember that Greek word for hope means confidence, confident expectation. As a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. This is why it's so important that you gather together face-to-face like this. We gather together like this. It's why it's so important that we pray for our sick members to come back to be able to experience this unity and strength and building up of one another until the day comes. But we've got to be awake until that day comes. We've got to be awake, alert, living it, um, living in unity. Living in this hope. So important. On the board, Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. Jesus is called the Blessed Hope. Again, it's not the idea of Him or just His promises, even. It's Him. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter 1:3. 1, this will be our last book, 1 Peter 1, 1.3, but not our last verse. <laughs> 1 Peter 1, 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to what? A living hope. That should mean a lot more to us right now studying the great high priesthood of Christ. He's a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Look at verse 13, 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Fix your hope completely on that day. We just read that in 1 Thessalonians. Uh, we've been told to take hold of the hope steadfast and sure. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Could be any day now. And look at verses 15 and 16. Oh, chapter 3, by the way. First Peter 3, 15 and 16. Same book. First Peter 3, 15 and 16. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. So, as we close, may Jesus Himself be your hope and the foundation in your hearts. He is the anchor of our soul, whom we can hold on to at all times. Jesus is our anchor, just to give you a visual. He is our salvation, and it just so happens that a cross is a part of the design of an anchor, as you can see. So may we never lose sight of his cross, which made all of this stability and security and hope possible for us to live by. Amen? Let's bow. Father, we thank you so much for this series and this time to step back and relish and enjoy the stability and security of the hope you've designed for us through the accomplishments of your son. Father, we ask that you help us live in these things, that you help us take hold of the anchor every day and not let go. Circumstances don't matter. Details don't matter. Whether we're blessed like others doesn't matter. We know you're the hope and we know you have a plan. And most of all, we know our salvation is secure in you. Father, we ask that you bless us all as we go and help us bring this good news and this truth out to a lost and dying world that needs this so desperately. We ask these things in Christ's precious name and it's by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen.